Welcome to Karate in the Garage. I'm Corey Culp. I'm Freddie Wolf. All right, we're continuing our dumped in January month. Dumped. By the way, I've been, I was been on, on Twitter a lot this week. I mean, Megan opened up last week. We went to see it. And uh, it's funny, a lot of people on Twitter are in the same boat that we kind of were talking about offline too. I don't think we were talking about it on mic or at least didn't make the episode that that kind of doesn't exist anymore. You know, it hasn't existed in like, you know, eight to 10 years. It really doesn't exist now in the streaming age as far as like dumping grounds like this. Like this movie, whole, does Megan feel dumped? I haven't seen it. There's a trailer doesn't do much for me. Man. Well, I, I'm not gonna, I won't, I won't. Don't I won't, ruin it. I'm, I'm not gonna, gonna see it. No, no, I don't think there's anything to ruin. That's the, Yeah, it's all in the trailer. Well, right? and that's, and it's funny. I'm And I didn't really mean to bridge it this way. What we're covering today is 1981's Scanners from David Cronenberg. <laughs> not unlike Megan, where you've watched the trailer, this movie is notorious for extremely iconic scene and it still fucking kicks ass. It's really still a top 25 horror movie. It, dude, it's unnerving and it's unnerving. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's a, but here's something that we both were talking about beforehand. Well, of course we're talking about the scene in the movie. Everybody's seen it. So everybody's seen scanners. This isn't anything we're not, anybody listening to this episode has already seen it. We're not telling you to go see it and it's your first time, but I think you may discover what we discovered our younger selves are so married to that moment and everybody was married to that moment until it happens. And once it happens, you're kind of like the rest of the movie, there's a lot of more movie left. It happens very early in the movie. And that's when Michael Ironside goes up against this other guy who are just now learning about what a scanner is. And of course we all know what happens. The dude's head blows up and yeah. And everybody freaks out. And yeah. They, you know, what was, what's fun about it, is that that year, and we've lamented a little bit about this during Ghost Story, 1981 had a lot of really strong horror movies. And we kind of teased that this was one of those movies. But boy, our motto of the show is it better remember it, remember it better. Yeah. It, it. <laughs> yeah, man. I mean, uh, nothing against the movie or, you know, I mean, again, I know people who love this movie who are yes. going to be like, fuck you, dude. You're I know, just right? fucking hater. I'm, I'm not a hater. I mean, I still, I still like the movie. I just don't like it the way I did when I was 13. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, the first, the, the moment happens very early on and then you're just left with a very, I mean, this story is interesting, but it's very slow to unfold. Yeah. And, and, and kind of not exciting, <laughs> if I'm being honest. No, and in, in all fairness to David Cronenberg, he's always had very interesting movies. But this one, he was kind of, I mean, this was actually one of those seriously hampered productions because he was in the race against a tax break window in Canada. And so he started the production without a completed script. Yeah, it kind of shows. Right. right. And if you watch the BTS, when they're talking to the makeup guys in it, they were talking about, yeah, it was a very troubled production because there was lots of improvising on the set. Um, we're going to do this instead. We're going to do this instead. And you, it does show in the story, not just in the visual portion of it, but in the storytelling itself, there are moments where you just feel like maybe there should have been a cut there or maybe three edits there. And it, there's a long stretches of time where you feel like this movie probably could have been about three or four minutes shorter if it was cut tighter. Because it does have those moments where you feel like, all right, how long are we going to stay on this shot for? No, 100%. You know, I, I, I was just going to say this, and I don't want it to sound fucking catty, but it is kind of catty. The most exciting thing about this movie is the poster. <laughs> the po Again, it's so good. And what, uh, we and I mentioned, um, it's hard to mention anyway, we were just starting to get into that slasher thing, right? With 
Friday the 13th and all the knockoffs. So we were seeing lots of dismemberments and bloody, gory stuff that we really didn't see a lot before. But fast forward to 1981 and we get Rick Baker doing his stuff that we've never seen before with American Werewolf. Right. And Rob Bottin doing something, his own spin on the werewolf transformation with the howling. But I think that's another reason why this movie has that notoriety because it was something we hadn't seen before. We never seen somebody's head blow up like that before. Dude, and and, and what and how they did it is pretty impressive. I mean, yeah. You, you know, the BTS on the, the Criterion Blu-ray is worth buying yes. strictly for the BTS stuff. Yep. Yep. You know, and if you're and if you're in love with the movie, it's a bonus. I mean, I thought I was in love with the movie, but then I realized I, w- I wasn't. It wasn't true love, Corey. It was uh, you know, <laughs> thought it was love, but it's over now. <laughs> Yeah, it's like going to your 20-year reunion and being like, God, <laughs> wow, prom date. But also, when you get those prosthetic effects that you see in American Wolf and the howling with with the bladder packets and stuff like that, you get that at the end with the finale when, when Vale and Revik are going at it at the end with the veins, which does make up Michael Ironside's cover. That the poster that everybody is, is so uh, fond of. And it is, that's as iconic as the head blowing up scene in the movie. But damn it, it's such a, yeah, when you get to the end of the movie, it's such a bummer. Yeah, well, totally. I mean, and it's, it's, dude, here's the thing. That is the one thing. It's Cronenberg. It's right. a Cronenberg movie through and through. I just, there's other Cronenberg movies I enjoy way more than this. Shivers, right. The Brood. Videodrome, which was his movie that came directly after this, is way more fun. The thing about this movie that I, you know, I again forgot. (laughs) It's it's not that much fun, man. After that, after that first bit, you know, then the rest of it's just kind of like, oh, I'm so I'm going to concentrate on what I did like about it, (laughs) right? Which are which is the the perform Ironside's great. Uh, I mean, yeah. I, this was definitely the first time I'd ever seen Michael Ironside in anything. And then forever on for the rest of the eighties, he was the guy from Scanners when I'd see him and stuff. Total Recall, Extreme Prejudice, Top Gun. It's like it's the guy from Scanners. Yeah. And then you know Patrick McGowan shows up, and you know who doesn't love Patrick McGowan? I love. I've always loved Cronenberg's choice of cast. Yes, you'll get a couple of faces. Or like for us, Michael Ironside. That's our first time we're really seeing him in anything. When you have a movie like this, that really, and it's, and I think when you know that it's a, it's a rush production, I'm like man, what could he have done if he was given the time? Right, and that's the part that's kind of a bummer because we know we what he could do, like Videodrome. We know when he gives real money and time, we get the fly. Right, Naked Lunch. We you know we we get those things that make him such a such a visionary director that we're that we're all very fond of even his stuff that came before this like shivers and uh, the, the, and the brood, brood i think yeah. was the year before this yeah they don't seem yes i guess rushed is is the i guess it's the rushed thing that really kind of messes this movie up yeah because it it feels cobbled together and kind of unfinished yeah i right I, yeah i agree with that and it, and that's that's what you that's what's a bummer about it when you know that they were rushed and with an incomplete script and kind of just making stuff up on the day just to make the day and, and at the end of it all actually have something that could cut together and it, it cuts together. Okay. But when you get in that dangerous area, if you really cut it the way it should have been, it's probably about eight to 10 minutes shorter than it is. Right. And that's when you kind of get in weird territories of, of being able to showcase these things and actually call it a feature film. Once you got too short of a movie, 
I mean, what's, what's Sundance? Wasn't there wasn't there was Sundance to be a feature film? It's got to be 73 minutes or something like that. Something like that. Something, yeah. something I mean, just a lick over a network 90 minutes is kind of crazy. Like I said, there's so much to like about this. Performance are just solid. But I will get back to the casting. I love, always love Cronenberg's choice to pepper his recognizable cast with just very unusual people and yep. visual, visual, visually um, uh, interesting, interesting, faces. interesting. Yes. Yes. And, it, and it's not about the performance because he just, he wants a look and he, and he finds it. Right. It doesn't, he, it doesn't look like he called up central casting and said, Hey, send me over three cop. You know what <laughs> right. I mean? Yeah. Even the background people in this are interesting looking. And uh, yeah, man, you're absolutely right. Uh, you know, the thing is, is, a face tells a story, uh, you know, and it's, it, it's all part of the palette. I mean, the movie does look really good. I, I love the way it looks. I love the way it's shot. Yep. You know, the colors that sort of, that very sort of early eighties, yep. um, you know, sort of color palette and, uh, the, the photography. I mean, it, all that stuff is good. Right. Again, it's being under the constraints of you got to get this movie out for us to get a tax break. <laughs> you know, yeah. it's kind of heart wrenching because his earlier films with even with less money, I'm guessing than scanners had they're, they're They feel more complete and more, and they're just more interesting more than just, you know, this movie still is visually interesting. It's just, I kind of found, you know, I just kind of kept getting, I kept finding myself getting up and walking out of the room and going to get another glass of water. And I come back and nothing really had happened, in, right. you know, <laughs> between my trips to the, you know, to make a cup of coffee. But Stephen Lack is great in it too. Yep. Yep. Um, and uh, is it Jennifer O'Neill? Is that? Yeah, is that it's, the, it's Jennifer yeah. O'Neill. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, in my mind, I was like, yeah, Scanners, there's a bunch of sequels, but they're, they're like a decade later. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. And I think Scanners two and three both came out at the same time. Yeah. And, and actually it's funny. Those movies are more like, you know, we talked about before about Evil Dead and Evil Dead two is like Evil Dead two quote unquote sequel, but it's basically the evil dead one with money and an expanded right. story. That's what I love. The second scanners movie. It's scanners too. the new order. Yeah. yeah me too. Really good. And you just kind of, that's what makes you think, man, what if Cronenberg had an extra month, you know, just to, or even two weeks to have done it right. You know, cause it was a two month production and that's, I mean, two weeks is a you know, massive increase over a, over an eight week period to give yourself 10 weeks. That's, that's huge. But this is that parallel between this and Tremors. Well, this movie actually did pretty good considering because it's everybody wanted to see that scene. So people were seeing this movie. Um, again, lots of rated R horror that year. Um, like I said, with the aforementioned two werewolf movies, Wolfen to a lesser extent, Christmas, we got, we got, we got a ghost story. So lots of radar horrors. So this thing very early in the year being obviously January of 81. Dumped. Yes, <laughs> dumped. But this is just like Tremors. Yes, it, correct. It spawned a slew of sequels that, again, I don't know what they got up to because it, it spun off of the Scanner thing and became, there's like Scanner Cop and and that had like three or four. Uh, scanner Cop, dude, you know, I'm, you know, I have a cameo. I'm in Scanner Cop too. Are you really? <laughs> oh yeah. That's awesome. I, I, I'm driving up, I'm, I'm I'm, I play an LAPD officer. I'm driving a car and I come skidding up to the curb and maybe my partner jump out of the car. Guns drawn. <laughs> That's awesome. It's pretty hilarious. Yes. And we were both eradicated by the, you know, we, we were both, we were both, we both fell victim. Yeah. <laughs> to the scanners, scanner cops. And you were talking about the, how it looks. 
Mark Irwin was the DP on this. He's worked with Cronenberg. Um, this is the second time he worked with them. Before that, he actually the third time. He worked them on Fast Company and The Bruises. We already mentioned that. Right. But then he had him on Videodrome and Dead Zone and gosh, I think a couple other things, The Fly. Yeah. But dude, I love Irwin's work. He's done so much. If he did one movie a year, he did two, three, four movies a year. I mean, he did Chuck Russell's The Blob. He did the just recently announced re-release of Fright Night Part 2 from 88. Robocop 2. Bat 21, dude. I know. How's that for a range of movies in 88? Something about Mary. He is such a strong... I come in peace in the same year as Robocop 2. Class of 99, three very different movies with three very different budgets. Right, and he's still working. Yeah, dude, he's rad. He's like one of the best DPs in the game. You name it, he's done it genre-wise. I mean, shit, Youngblood. Youngblood, the same year he did The Fly. How is that? Again, two very diversely uh, looking movies for two very diverse stories. His stuff, and in this Criterion release, by the way, whether you watch on the Criterion channel, which funny enough, by the way, HBO Max has the Criterion channel encode because I hit play uh, because I didn't want to dig out the movie. And the Criterion channel logo came up and on my collection logo came up. Whoa, I was, I didn't think they did that kind of thing. But it looks great. And I'm assuming it's the same encode as the Blu-ray because it looked fantastic. The movie looks great, but it looks like a beautifully shot 1981 movie. It really feels like 1981. Oh yeah, absolutely. We When we did Strange Brew, I kind of think I made a, a reference to this movie about how much it looked like a Canadian set. And oh, strange yeah. brew like this looks like a Canadian set. <laughs> they just found some warehouse that had a bunch of computers and like, oh yeah, let's just go and shoot here. Yeah, location scouting was very minimal back back in the day, and so you found a hot spot, you used it. Well, again, you know, under a time constraint, I, I mean, I don't know the geography of everything. It all kind of feels like it was shot in a six block radius. <laughs> yeah, you know, I mean, you don't move base camp, you can make your day. <laughs> so, I was going to ask you. Where where do you where does this fall for you like in the Cronenberg? If like, is it top five Cronenberg for you? Because you know if I look at if I look at Cronenberg's work, I want to say because I I mean it's not even top ten for me. I don't. I, I just think it, it has that because of that moment. It's such a. If you asked me yesterday, <laughs> when you say David Cronenberg, most people's first response is scanners. It is again. If you asked me yesterday, I would have put it up there. No, I, I, I can, I, I mean, Naked Lunch, The Fly, Videodrome, I can name, Dead Zone. I, I can name there. There's five right there that are going to be in front of it. <laughs> and that's not even trying. A history of violence. <laughs> he did a movie I saw. It was a documentary about Tourette's. I saw this. And it's not long. It's only like half an hour long. I saw this on, uh, what's that, 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 that archival uh, site that, that Sergio turned us on to. Oh, right. I saw it on there and I'm like, this is so good. But you know, it's funny. It looks like his movies. That's the weird thing. <laughs> the way his, yeah. his compositions look very much like his feature films. So part of you is kind of, oh, by the way, seriously, when you watch that doc, the Tourette's doc, and you watch the, the Ravik scenes where you're showing the old film after he drilled a hole in his head, it's so eerily similar. It's really bizarre. Dude, it's like dead ringers. Yes. It's like something out of Dead Ringers. Yeah. Again, there's another one. I could, I would put Dead Ringers in front of in front of scanners. Yeah, and there's nothing wrong with it. No, it's but just it, you know, in my mind, I loved it so much as a kid. I yeah. saw it. You know, I feel like I saw this movie a hundred times, but then not seeing it for God knows how long. Yeah, you know what I'm going to say right now? I'm going to read this to you. 
There are 4 billion people on Earth. 4 billion people on Earth. 237 are scanners. They have the most terrifying powers ever created. And they are winning. What I want to say, I'm going to give this out to, this is free for somebody. This would make a fucking really good, this premise would be a kick-ass limited series if somebody wants, you know, how they want to remake everything. Why doesn't somebody take this and make a limited series? That's all you need. It's right there on the poster. Yep. It would be an amazing limited series. Dude. I want to read the novelization of this. I no, yeah, totally. Something where they've really given somebody the time to like expand. Every novelization always expands on the movie you see. Even the great movies that you've seen have expanded universe of the story being told. This would definitely fill in the blanks a lot. And I'd be interested to see what they do. I wonder how much that stuff ended up in like in the scanner sequels. Dude. But there's so many of them. Right. But you know, I gotta say there's a there's a drug in the movie they talk about they're given to pregnant women, which is how our two leads become who they are, become scanners. And the whole plot is to put this drug into pregnant women to create an army of scanners going forward and take over the world. That is Ravik's plan. Um, But we don't discover this until way late into the movie. And it's all expositional, unfortunately. Right. Like, show me, don't tell me, man. Yeah, it's a a rough go, too. Especially a movie that has some, a couple of really visually stunning, like legendary moments. It's kind of a bummer (laughs) when you get to that point. But I guess I probably saw this maybe about 20 years ago. And again, my mind was still kind of 14 in its development of movies. Still, I wasn't, I can't, maybe I would, maybe I just wasn't totally into it. Um, like I was this time really paying attention to it. But boy, I didn't realize that the drug they're talking about here might as well have been thalidomide. Yeah. No, no, I think, I mean, that's what it is. I mean, that's what it, it's, it's such a, it's we fun. didn't start the fire, Corey. I know. <laughs> no. Cameron veiled it at the end. <laughs> That's correct. Well, actually, he's the one that catches on fire, right? Yes. Yeah. But he did start it. He started on, so he technically did start the fire. I really did. I mean, when you get to that end and reveal that, that uh, veil is actually taken over Revic at the end. And I, I'm kind of like, the contacts they put on Ironside don't look like contacts and they push all the way in. Usually, yeah, can, yeah, yeah. back then, you could usually see the edge of the contacts, but they look fucking great. Yeah, he wasn't afraid to put shit in his eyes because he had those white sclerals when they're having the big showdown at the end. But even Howard Shore, very early in his career, his, his score really doesn't lift this uh, movie up. No, you it know? seems like it was. It seems kind of slapdash. Like they threw it together because yeah. they had to. They had to hit a. Uh, you know, they had a hard out. <laughs> yeah, as they say. Yeah, and it's it's a bummer too. It's like there's so many uh, limited musical cues that he has. It's like when this. Score got released out on on vinyl and CD. It was actually got paired up with his work that he did on The Brood for Cronenberg. So that tells you like there wasn't much to it to to have to pair it up with something else. There weren't a lot of cues in there because there were lots of drawn out moments where there was nobody talking. There was no right. action. He wasn't given enough cues for, to, to use in the movie because, well, I think he was expecting a much tighter and more action oriented movie. And uh, yeah, it's not bad score. There's just not much to it. It's very limited. No, what there is is good. It's just very, there's just very little of it. Yeah. I want to point out a funny little trivia thing. You know, we've already talked about a camera veil being played by Stephen Lack. He shows up again as a supporting character in Dead Ringer since you already mentioned it. Right. It's interesting because the effects, the visual effects, I mean, you, again, you got the, you got the bladder moments, the veins and all that stuff at the end, the climax, but it all is about the headshot in the beginning. This is a second time in the last two months that we're talking about Dick Smith. 
he was the one heavily involved with both those major moments of the movie with the, the right. effects. Even though there were other guys from from Canada and from LA, um, I can't remember who was who was involved in it. I'm going to put a link to it because that documentary on on that's on the Criterion set is available on YouTube. So if you don't already own the movie uh, on Criterion, I think actually come to think of it, I think it might even be on the Criterion channel. They're pretty good about putting their extras on there now. Yeah, but I'll link to it anyway. But it's 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 a 22 minute documentary, and you might you noted earlier when the Criterion sales are happening for 20 bucks, it is worth having that um, extra material. Even if you don't, even if the movie is just something you want to visit once in a while, just just to see those big moments, cool. But really, the BTS on that on, and all the extras are fantastic. Well, what I what I did immediately when I finished the movie is I went right to the BTS, and I want to say the if I had had watched the BTS first, I probably, you know, I might have had a different experience rewatching the film, knowing these things going back into it after you know a certain time period. Right. But what just watching the movie cold. I was like, oh man, that just, it just left me flat. And then I went back into the BTS, which I was like, oh yeah, well, fuck, this is all, this is why I bought this Blu-ray. Right. Yeah. It's funny because you see a lot of moments in this movie that you see later in other Cronenberg films. Right. Like there's, there's a couple moments in here that are right out of Dead Ringers. There's some moments that you're like, oh, that, you know, and if you, and if you see, if you're familiar with his work, you're like, that's, that's very dead zone. Oh yeah, the, the, the yeah the, the the whole fire moment at the end or the climax yeah. was so it was so right out. I mean that those two moments that and dead zone are almost the compositions are almost identical. Yeah. yeah, yeah, totally. So again, the movie's definitely worth watching if you haven't seen it. And if you have seen it, go into it knowing that you're probably well. I don't know, man. I mean, I can't speak for everybody, but <laughs> look, man. I'm just saying, if you have the disc, watch the BTS and then watch the movie. Yeah. There, there are better Cronenberg movies, and unfortunately, it, it really does revolve around the, the 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 climax. And but more than anything, is that head exploding scene. And boy, this is like so. I mean, when when I first heard, I mean, I think I read this in Fango like years ago, reading about how they pulled off the effect. It's like the Tom Savini talking about the head exploding scene in in the, in the original Dawn of the Dead. Like, well, how'd you make the head blow up? Um, with, with the shotgun. <laughs> Yeah, no, totally. <laughs> and it's the same thing with this. The head exploding is there is a 12 gauge sitting behind the dummy and uh, all those old cheeseburgers, whatever else they stuffed inside the head. You can see that that is on YouTube. Uh, you're correct. Cause that, I feel like that's where I saw it. And then I was like, then I immediately ordered the Blu-ray. <laughs> the I, I bought it in the next Criterion sale. This is back when you got those, that those real tasty BTS where it's, that you where you got DVDs called, you know, you know, affectionately called film school in a box. And it kind of became that you're getting that all the time. Now you're rare. It's rare to get anything, but to see something from a movie that's 41 years old now, that's it's, it's surprising. Well, 40, it'll be 40. That's 42 now. Shit. When is this, we, hold on. We should probably note how close to the anniversary are we as we're recording this. Okay. Motherfuckers. <laughs> we are two days away. <laughs> If you're listening to us today, if you listen to this on release day, January 14th, it's Friday the 13th today. If you're listening to this on day of release, uh, 2023 and, uh, yeah, it came out tomorrow, 42 years ago. It's wild, man. Yeah. It is so crazy. Uh, you know, the other thing too, let's just touch base on this. Jennifer O'Neill, who plays Kim. Right. I kept wondering, like, and I knew she'd been in other movies. You know, I, my dad was a big fan of summer of 42. He talked about it all the time until I finally had seen it. And I remember because I, I watched a film called Racing with, I mean, my dad watched Racing with the Moon 
with Sean Penn and Nick Cage and Elizabeth McGovern and my dad's, oh, <laughs> this is just a ripoff of Summer of 42. <laughs> and uh, so that's that was my introduction to Jennifer O'Neill. But right. the reason Jennifer O'Neill looks so familiar is that for 30 years, she was like, I think she wasn't she like the face of CoverGirl? I mean, she was a, she's a model, but like her face was, she's on a bazillion magazines, man. I'm pretty sure, unless I just made that shit up. No, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> the, the series has been tried to make several times, but uh, it was announced. I, I thought that sounded familiar. Since you mentioned limited series, I'm like, yeah, that sounds like a good idea. Wait, why does that sound like something that's happening? Uh, back in September, it wasn't formally announced to all the trades that David Cronenberg was producing a series and developing it for HBO. Oh, see, I do. I I would say HBO or Showtime should totally be all of it. But again, so maybe, see, maybe I heard that too. Yeah. Because I I don't think I'm that smart. So, uh, but but, I mean, if you read that poster, dude, like in knowing what the world is and how people like to consume shit now, this is a perfect limited series. It is. My concern is, was that announcement before the mass accidents has been happening, Warner Brothers and Discovery? <laughs> I'm sure. God. It's never going to happen now. No, at least um, not with them. <laughs> uh, so it's CoverGirl. That's what she was. She was a spokeswoman for CoverGirl. That's it. Yeah. I, yes. Um, so whatever I said before was a bullshit. Uh, but yes, I knew she was, I knew her face was all over magazines, you know, when we were kids. And, it, I, you know, it's funny because she's really good in this. Like again, everybody's good. I mean, that's the one thing about Cronenberg films. I don't know that I've ever watched a David Cronenberg film where I didn't think all the performances were totally believable and real. There's never like that where you're like, oh my God, where'd they get that guy? Um, you know, because again, he uses interesting people, but even the, the fa- he knows how to use the, these interesting looking characters, even if they're, it's one or two scenes or maybe two lines, three lines. He knows how to get the response and he, you know, so when you're watching it, it, it doesn't ever stick out like that's That's a non-actor, right. you know, cause you know how it is. Like I, I want to say the example I'll use is uh, the film hell or high water. Yeah. When uh, Jeff Bridges and his deputy buddy are at the diner and the waitress is waiting on a non-actress, obviously. <laughs> the, and, and she's great. You know, she's, very, but I, I want to say she looks at the camera and it's just, you know, you, 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 usually a non-actor sticks out like a sore thumb. And the reason that, you know, they don't ever do that with Cronenberg. And I think it's, it, it's a testament to his direction or, or his editing or both. But Jennifer O'Neill, I mean, she, it's funny because I totally forgot that she was the one, you know, until we started talking about it, I forgot that she was the woman in this movie. Probably at that time, the most familiar face in the movie. Yeah. I mean, other than Patrick McGowan. Yeah. Cause at that point, Jennifer O'Neill was because we knew her from summer of 42. Right. Um, Cause that was talking about, I mean, I think the day that home box office became a thing. Yep. It was on like seemingly every day that I come home from school, yeah. it was on. But then once you saw Michael Ironside and you started seeing him and everything else after that, but she's definitely the most recognizable one in the movie. It's funny. Well, you know, while I was watching and I texted you, I said, man, this movie feels like Looker. Also another 18, 1981 movie. We've talked about yeah. it here and there with Albert Finney. And Susan Day, another one of those, one of those other actresses that we obviously know her from, 
Lori Partridge well, yes. and LA Law yeah. later on. But yes, at that time, strictly Lori Partridge. And, uh, you know, we're, we're going to have to cover Looker at some point. Yeah. I don't, I, I have too much to say about that movie. That movie's a lot of fun. Dude, for- the, yeah. Remember, okay. So in this movie, when Vale goes to the chemical factory, right? And it's super misty. I mean, they went crazy with the fog and it looks really, it looks like Looker does in the, the entire movie. There's a very specific. Right. Like the guy running the smoker croaked. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody shut it off. I don't know how, man. Yeah. All right, just leave it on. Yeah, yeah. And that that looker has a that's what I think it was at that moment in in scanners where I thought of Looker. Again, another movie that we had fed to us practically intravenously every because, day on HBO. HBO. And okay, a couple of nights ago I was working. It was the it was the CFB championships run, right? On ESPN. And I felt like I got to work at three and I felt like every two hours I looked up, I'm like, whoa, how's it five? How's it seven? How's it nine? How's it 11? I got, my night went like that. And there, and, I've, and I said out loud, I said, <laughs> I feel like Albert Finney and Looker, every time I turn around, it's like, <laughs> how did I end up here? How's, how's two hours passed? And someone looked at me and goes, what's Looker? All right, well. Yeah, of course, dude. It's <laughs> real. That's really funny. Like uh, I, 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 it's something, cause I, I used to make reference to it all the time. And nobody knows what the fuck I'm talking about yeah. now. I've, yeah. I've reached the point. I'm working with people who have no idea what Looker is. Their idea of an Albert Finney movie is Skyfall. Yeah. Um, you know, <laughs> no, the guy from Skyfall. Uh, sure. Sure. Um, yeah. Uh, you know, uh, Albert Finney, I mean, not, not to go on an Albert Finney tangent, but, uh, you know, 81 was a good year for Albert Finney because not only was he in Looker, he was in Wolfen. Yep. And that's and it kind of was kind of was, I was leading that back to that too. It's like eighty one. There's like some great great movies in eighty one. Really great. I mean, tw- I was tw- I turned twelve that year, and I had a lot of exposure to movies. But also that, as I mentioned before in the show, I was on the Poltergeist set constantly. You know, you and I talked recently about uh, we're talking about David Nivens and and him dying in eighty three. Like right when right you right when you're starting to get your feel for more than just what movies are being spoon fed for our age group, that there was more to it than just that. That for me was an 81, you know, I was exposed to so many things and to be on the set for Poltergeist almost every day when they shot and see me was a big deal to me. And it really shaped a lot of things. And of course that whole year, here's a, here's a film, this horror movie here. And I'm watching all these horror movies throughout 81 of all varieties. And I think that's why Scanner's, for 12-year-old me holds on to that that nostalgia so much because it really shaped my view of the genre and that it wasn't just slasher movies, that it was ghost stories, that it was borderline sci-fi with scanners and and yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. I was I was gonna say this movie is less of a horror film in my mind. It's more of a sci-fi thriller. Oh, yeah. It's it's a it's a thinking man's movie. So you know that being said, I don't want to say that I'm not a thinking guy. I don't think, and that's why you you know I'm sure somebody will be that's why you don't like the movie because you <laughs> no that's not why I don't like the movie. The movie just you know it, it just takes a long time to unfold after the big moment you know that everybody is waiting for. It happens real early, uh, but it's it's it is it, it, dude. This would be such a great thing if they could piece this out over six or eight episodes yeah uh i mean i just feel like it's a great concept that doesn't get its due in this movie yeah i agree 
kind of a bummer and, and not a bummer. I don't say, I don't want to say it's, it's a bummer. No, it's, it's still just, entertaining. It's, it's definitely yeah. something you should see if you're a fan of the genre and you know, if you want to be in the conversation with, you know, people about, oh, the, you know, great, because it's going to come up. People yep. always, you know, Scanners is a movie that people always say, you ever see Scanners, dude? Yeah, of course. Of course I saw it. Fucking blow, the head blows up. Michael, you know, you know all those bits, but it's just like you forget how quick they come and then you forget what the rest of the movie is. Remember when we got some of those DVDs? Was it a DVD or was it only Blu-rays where we get the overlay in a moment, it would take you right to a BTS? Right. You got that in a handful of movies. I want to think that was a DVD thing before. It was Blu-ray. a DVD. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I miss that kind of thing for a movie like this, for where, where you, I mean, for, your criterion, right? So you're having something like that where you, especially when you have such an extensive BTS, not just this, you get that a lot with the Some Like It Hot or any, I mean, you can, most, most criterion does have a great deal of BTS either back from when it was shot or if it's an older movie, people reflecting on it, film historians and things like that. I wish we had something like that. I wish you could just, you know, something to pop up and go boom and you can kind of do it. Not unlike how Prime has adopted that with their X-ray playback where when right. you watch something, you can pop up and see who's on screen and learn more about who's on screen or who did. It's like pop-up video yeah. for movies. And but fully interactive. And I, and I yeah. Uh, it's surprising me because that 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 something like that doesn't exist more prevalently. Was that called Infinifilm? <laughs> well, for the New Line Cinema sides, yeah, it was. that's what that's what it was called. And yeah, because I remember, I dude, I used to like, I would single things out, I would buy things just because they had the Infinifilm bumper, you know, on the box. You're like, oh yeah, this is gonna, you know, it's gonna have great shit in it. It was a, such a clever idea. And you know what? DVDs were making a premium. They were still making, I mean, you've got, if you paid 20 bucks for a DVD, 1999, that you were getting a good deal. It's kind of like how we're more accepting of Blu-ray prices at $15, $10 now. Now, I mean, look, I just ordered, I'm mean, since we're talking about it, Looker, I just ordered it from Warner Archive. It was 19 bucks, but it's also only been out for a couple of years. Yeah. I think I bought it digitally a few years ago because I wanted to watch it, but it wasn't available to stream anywhere. Not even on Prime. It was only available for rent or purchase. And I'm like, fuck it, I'm buying it because it was $4.99. <laughs> um, yeah. And I have watched it. A, I, I've watched it several times. It, it again, Looker. It, yeah, we'll 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 have to cover Looker at some point. We'll have to figure out. You know, are we going to do like you know, authors who directed movie, whatever, <laughs> right? The, whatever it's going to end up being, <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, look, this is a movie. Should you see this movie? I mean, yes, of course you should see it because it's one of those movies, you know, if, if, you know, if you're a fan of the genre and you haven't seen it and you're wondering if you should see it, yeah, you should see it because that way you can make an informed opinion about when somebody starts hammering and telling you it's the greatest movie ever made and (laughs) and you can say, well, it's the first eight minutes are fantastic. And then it just unfolds. Very slowly. <laughs> yeah. When you get that introduction to Vale in the very beginning at that, it looks like a, I'm pretty sure it's a Montreal, Montreal mini mall stack. Toronto. I, was it Toronto? Yeah. <laughs> I think so. I know. I didn't see any French on the wall, so it must have been. <laughs> I think it's Toronto. <laughs> uh, dude, there's a moment in the movie where. Tom, is it Toronto? No, Tom will know. Uh, what was the, when he, when he crashed the van into the. <laughs> into the record store. My like, heart broke, man. It was just like, oh. Dude, me too. Because all I could think of was, God, if I was a 12-year-old kid and I saw that, how <laughs> right? could I be stealing everything out of there, Canadian or not? I, and I love the way they dress the whole thing where it's just, and you get this a lot with with lower budget things. You know, who knows at the last minute, he probably decided to make it a record store. But when they, you only have so many promotional materials and posters to like staple on the wall. 
but you and you finally I don't re- I don't recognize any of that shit. And then when they're down no. in the basement, you see the Donna Summer cover just right over his veil sh- shoulder. Like you finally, oh, I know what that is. And, yeah. But seriously, you know, there's probably tons of records in there, all first presses that could be worth so much money now. Yeah, a, yeah, couple of uh, uh, really good crashes in there. I just mentioned the the the, the crashing of the school bus, um, and where the, where the goodies are trying to escape from the baddies, and a very unusual cop car exploding at the very beginning. Dude, a, yeah, you're talking about when you're talking about after the after the incident where they throw where they throw irons and they think Ironside's been drugged. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, look, all that stuff is fun. And it, it, again, it, the movie is definitely worth seeing and it's, it, it's not, I don't hate this movie. I don't want no. people to think I hate it, but you know, it's just not as, you know, it's just not what it was to me when I was 12. Well, yeah. And I, and I, you know, there, there's a moment in the movie too, where, uh, where Vale is, it's uh, more fun to talk about it actually than watch it. It is. It is. When, when Vale is on the phone and he's pretending he's a modem and he's scanning Yes. He's scanning a computer uh, that, that has all the uh, information about this, 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 this project that, uh, to, uh, um, to infect all the pregnant women and their, and their, uh, their uh, unborn children. When it blows up and that one guy gets thrown back and the ratchet system is so clearly seen. I oh, think, yeah. I think if this movie had more footage than he probably would, you probably would have only seen him go and get pulled back, but they definitely showed the reverse because they needed more frames for the movie, but it was just like, again, 12 year old me did not see that cable. Nope, never at saw any it. Point. Dude, I, like I laughed out loud when it happened uh, yeah. this time. I was like, Oh God. I bet it's also, again, you know, the, the more you, you know, the more you watch movies and the more you've been around movies and once you know how things are done and yeah. then you see something, you're like, Oh Jesus, man, they didn't yeah. even fucking try to fucking hide that. Did nope. they? <laughs> you know, but again, to the untrained eye, you don't, maybe you don't know what you're looking at. So it, it doesn't matter. Cause I mean, at 12, dude, I had no idea. And even a, maybe even the last time I watched the movie, cause I, maybe this might be the first time I ever really noticed it. If I'm being fair. I got to say that I don't remember seeing it before. So even when I saw it 20 years ago, I probably just didn't even notice. Or, or I forgot. <laughs> there is that too. And there's a really good chance that that's my situation. too. <laughs> yeah. You know, like the 30 year old me uh, probably has forgotten a lot of shit that the, uh, you know, the, 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 the current me has forgotten a lot of things even from 20 years ago. Yeah. Anyway, so yeah. scanners, 1981 Cronenberg, uh, you, again, some really wonderful, iconic moments in the first eight minutes. And then, you know, a, a very slighted portion of the climax at the end between the two adversaries. You can see this on HBO max. If you want to just watch the movie, it is a Criterion, nice, clean uh, image. Or you can watch the Criterion channel, which does have all six featurettes that you see on the uh, the Blu-ray. Or you can get the Blu-ray for 20 bucks five times a year from Amazon. Yeah, and the, you know, February yeah. is coming up and yep. that's the next sale. You could pick it up. Here's what I would say. If, if that's the deal, I would buy, I would buy scanners, Videodrome, Naked Lunch. There you go. Pick them all, pick all three of them up. Lovely, lovely. So here we are, two weeks into this. Uh, we have to make a note of something right now because without getting into the details of it, um, scheduling reasons, we don't know when we're going to have the third in the series, but we still will wrap it up because we're both pretty high in, on the, the last two movies of it. 
at least from this. Well, we love the last one, like wholeheartedly, like truly, truly, truly. But the third one we have not seen before. True. So we're going to probably, we're going to probably maybe stumble into February with those and that's okay. Um, oh, I think we'll get them done. Oh. I, I, I think we can. I think I think we can swing it. But if we don't, this is kind of a preemptive apology. Yeah. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> anyway, same old silliness on the socials at Karate Pod with Twitter, Insta, and Letterbox. You can also follow Corey on Letterbox at Corey underscore Culp or Culprit ninety seven on Instagram. If you like to follow me, you can follow me at Rock and Roll thirty three on Instagram, or you can follow me on Letterbox at Dan Fielding. Dan Fielding at letterbox.com. Happy Friday the 13th, everybody. See that? We're not, see, this is what I'm saying. We're not that on the nose. What else happened in 1981? Oh, yeah, Friday the 13th, part two came out. We could have done that, but that wasn't dumped in January. No. No. <laughs>